Hello. Welcome back to Project 99. It is January 9th, 2020. I'm starting to get used to writing that down. <laughs> I haven't accidentally wrote 2019 on anything yet, so starting off. Do a good start. Very good. Oh, there's so much shit going on in our country right now. Um, I thought... Uh, people were polarized during the 2016 elections, but I feel like that energy has not calmed down at all since then. It's a, because of the PSYOP that's called the internet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I definitely think the internet has ramped it up. It has also um, ramped up idiots having a platform and ignoring the mass amounts of information they have access to. Well, so. you know, I was thinking, I, I was driving to work, and I was kind of thinking I might divide tonight's show, but I'll just try to cover this real quick, my, my rambling thought process on the way to work, was that, you know, when historians go back and they look at a period of, of history, because I record myself sometimes in the car talking about current events, and I think to myself, like, you know, maybe 100 years from now, some historian's going to go back and look at what was life like in America, you know? And, and they'll read all lies. Because we're a propaganda machine. Well, and here was, here was the, yes, my thought was that, you know, when we go back now and try to look at, say, the Middle Ages or Egyptian culture, uh, the vast amount of the general populace was illiterate, right? So they had no way to write down their daily, what that life was like. Personal experience. Personal experience. Like I watched a uh, video on the top secrets, the top 10 secrets of ancient Egypt. And one of them was this, this papyrus they found that showed all of these really extremely pornographic scenes. And they said this was interesting because in Egyptian culture, sex is very ritualized, the way it's portrayed in the hieroglyphics. And this was just like the common man's porn mag of ancient Egypt. <laughs> Weird. It is like... That's gnarly. Super graphic. And they're just like, any way you can do it, like stuff was being done on this thing. And, and, and the reason they said it was interesting was because this was the common man's everyday experience experience yeah. and so that's what made it so valuable and so i think about okay 100 years in the future like literacy is extremely high right now but then you have like all the social media people are recording their entire lives in detail but the problem is on social media it's um it, it's it's facebook is like to facebook it's everybody's own personal pr machine so you have your real life and then your Facebook persona of what you want people to see your life is like. So if somebody were to try to reconstruct life in America right now, it's insane. Like there's, first of all, there's too much information. And if you sort through it all, so much of it is just fake. So I wonder if history is ever going to be served by the fact that we are recording so much information right now. And so much of it's false. Yeah, it's crazy about that too, because I feel like when I started using social media, even back when like MySpace was a big thing, MySpace had this whole like notes board where people like posted stuff that they would write or thoughts that they had or poetry or stories and all this stuff. It was like a really artistic center of writing down your thoughts for people to read or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I like that. So when I was on MySpace, I started doing that, posted a lot of poetry and stuff that I wrote. And people actually read it. So I was like, oh, this is cool. But then uh, there was some kind of major change when people switched over to Facebook that Facebook was just now about like, um, I don't know, it was, it was kind of like MySpace was this center for people to share things and Facebook is like the Jersey Shore version of that. 
it's just <laughs> trash. Like it's garbage. People overshare <laughs> things. It just becomes all about like, I don't know, being as attention getting as possible. And it's like, I don't even write on Facebook at all whatsoever because no one even reads it. Right. I mean, the status is too long and they just skip by it. And people criticize me all the time because I do post really realistic things. I'm like, I'm not going to get on Facebook and be like, oh, today was such a good day. Happy Monday. Like, because that's not what I fucking feel. Right. So I just, I don't know why people criticize the realism of my posts or say I overshare or whatever because I'm like, what exactly is the point of this website if right. everything I have to post is extremely filtered and fake? Like, that's not who I am. Well, whenever I try to look at anything in life, whether it's politics or whatever the subject is, Facebook, I try to look at it from a, you know, a historical, having a historical understanding of it, how it evolved, where it's headed, and also the psychological and sociological impacts of it. Because I just think everything, nothing is just in and of itself. It all affects how we, we are as human beings. And I feel like social media has the potential to be this connecting force of people all over the world. Like we could be, a, we could for the first time really be a global community and say, hey, like they're saying stuff's going on in Venezuela. Is it really like that? Like we could really communicate with each other, but social media is being so controlled and manipulated that and the limitation of it is that people um, don't have the capacity for, it shows the limitations of human capacity. People are super shallow, super jealous, um, self-inflated egos. I mean, there's so much of that. Now, I've seen people use their social media pages for really good things, charitable things, um, helping out people who are sick, who need things. Like, there are people who put it to a good you know, humanitarian and valuable use, but most of it's just crap. You're right. It's crap and it's fake. Well, and the thing I, 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 I guess I've never given up on that. I mean, still to this day, I've, I've had social media since I was probably 13, 14 years old and now I'm 24. So for a long time, it was really interesting to see, you know, five years ago, I posted this and read about what my mindset was like then. And I feel like that has been a really insightful Thing for me and I don't know how anybody who fakes what they're what they're going through right now I mean when you look back you might convince yourself that you were happy then even though you weren't a they're not interested in historical perspective of their, themselves first of all yeah it's just really strange and it, it definitely has made me look inward at situations that I continue to go through in my life and relationships that I have and stuff because I'm like look even then you were trying to be hopeful that things would change and they haven't changed. So now it's time to make a change. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Like the, I feel like there is a lot of insight that you can have just by looking back, you know, at, yourself. back at yourself, which I feel like is what people did do with journals. But the reality is, is just no one keeps journals anymore. And obviously I don't put my deepest, darkest secrets on there, but I do write a lot. So I think that that, I don't know. I think that that was always something I liked about the back in time feature or whatever. Well, I was going to say too that when you know the when the 2016 election happened and all the Cambridge Analytica stuff occurred uh when it got busted out you we, we got that uh flat I got that flashback and I'm not gonna say that uh that my thought process like I became some kind of hard right winger but the the if you get the chance to watch the documentary about Cambridge Analytica they didn't target everybody they, they used analytics to determine which people were kind of sitting on the fence on certain issues and polarizing issues that they could drive you further to the right because they were working for the Trump campaign. So 
on things like immigration and the so-called like no-go zones in Europe where, where supposedly there were these Muslim bands patrolling the streets in certain uh, towns and you know around London and trying to enact Sharia law, like crazy stuff like that was like being flooded into my feed. And, you know, it, it caused me to kind of have instantaneous reactions to the things that I look back a year later and go, well, that's not really the thoughtful response that I would normally give something. You know what I mean? And, I, and so, I mean, I deleted Facebook because to me, I want to have the ability to really uh, process the information that I'm receiving and not be tempted into that quick, knee-jerk, interactive, you know, experience because it just pushes you it can push you in a direction where you're you're normally not going to tend to go right yeah that i it does confuse me that in our society people feel that they're first of all that their opinion is valuable to anyone and i don't know why we all have that like i don't know that that self-reassuring thing that somebody cares about our opinion because i've found that most people don't Mm -hmm. um and secondly, why we feel the need to have to immediately put out a statement on everything that happens around us. I mean, just everyone. As soon as as soon as all of this started going on recently and Soleimani was killed, I mean, there must have been uh, a million and one experts on Facebook. Sure. Just like, you know, mm-hmm. giving their war cry or whatever. And I had to go back and do a lot of reading because my knowledge of the Middle East was only of, you know, the war on terror because that's what was the big thing in my lifetime growing up was George Bush and 9-11 and, you know, war in the Middle East. That's basically all I knew. So then I started reading back to, I knew about Iran-Contra, I knew about all that, but then further than that. And it took me a couple of days, you know, mm-hmm. to gather this information and try to, to think about, well, who is in the right and wrong here? And, you know, in my opinion, as usual, well, don't feel America bad has always been the, in the wrong, but... The Middle East is a It's a complicated fuck. thing, yeah. <laughs> It's but, always uh, been a clusterfuck. But. My base statement has always been the same as I feel like the only people I hear saying this are my close, close, close family, like my brother, which is, does it have to be your own dead child in your arms before you stop beating the war drum? And that's, I, I completely agree with him because it's just like, regardless of what has happened, why is our goal always to mm-hmm. react with violence? Mm-hmm. Always. Well, I mean, right, we just, in Europe, America has dehumanized the people of the Middle East, and it's disgusting. It's been a very common practice among countries going way, way, way back to dehumanize the enemy by usually posters, visual propaganda, showing them as animals. Um, you know, anytime you want to make somebody the bad guy and you want to make him somebody worthy of your soldier slaughtering him, you have to dehumanize them so it's okay to, to murder that other human being. So, yeah, propaganda's always had that, you know, dehumanizing effect. Um, but I think that, you know, in, in Europe, for example, after in World War II, you know, when we toured there, and we saw churches that were bombed out by the Nazis. And you walk through and you think to yourself, like somebody came to church here one week and then the next week they came back and their church was gone. And they looked at that for weeks and weeks and months and it's still there, this hollowed out church. So they and their children had to flee to underground bunkers as bombs were dropped on their city. Yeah, that's a very um, unique thing that Americans have that I feel like the rest of the world really doesn't have is that they have been affected by 
and their own countries. In their backyards. In their hometowns. Yes, in their backyards. They've been affected personally. I mean, the closest thing I can think to that is when Hawaii got that false alert that there was a nuclear missile headed to them to kill them. And, you know, the panic, the sheer panic that they felt in those few minutes thinking they're about to be annihilated um, had to be horrifying. And that's what the British lived under when they were getting, you know, bombed by the Germans and, and, and German citizens when they were getting bombed back. I mean, these were just civil, these were war battlegrounds on civilian property. Right. And, you know, when 9-11 happened, um, you know, the United States and our, and our own kind of, uh, I don't want to, how do you say it? Like egocentric way. Like we see the 3000 people that we lost as more valuable than a hundred thousand people of another country. Right. And the other thing to realize too, is that even though nine 11 affected, you know, our whole country, that still, I mean, something that happens in New York, you know, people in California feel like it's in a whole nother country because we're so massive. Right. I mean, you talk about dropping bombs on England. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that, that it, it, there's no way it didn't affect every single person who right. lived there, as opposed to 9-11, which was more of a um, we stand with our country um, type of trauma rather mm-hmm. than it literally destroyed my home. Right. So well, I, I remember just think that that's a big thing that people here do not recognize, and we lack the ability to have sympathy, but... And this is the thing too, me and my friends, um, who are not very politically involved, and I don't, I don't know why I try to have these conversations with them, because it just, resor- it just, it just never goes well. But, uh, you know, it, it, it just never, it never gets through to them that I'm like, listen, this isn't about my dislike for Donald Trump. That's not what this is about. Because you know, when Obama was in office and bombs were being dropped on Syria, and they showed pictures of the kids laying in the street and the guy holding this dead baby in his arms and just mm-hmm. all this horrific stuff. That I was like, I was devastated. I remember watching mm-hmm. these images on the TV and crying because I'm like, someone, that's just, it's awful. It's awful. It has nothing to do with who's president. Mm-hmm. It's just America as a whole is always ready to beat the war drum. And we just have, we, we don't even, I thought that a turning point in our country was going to be when people started seeing the Vietnam War on TV and they realized how horrific it was. Mm-hmm. But all it did was desensitize us. Well, I think it's interesting you mentioned that because Noam Chomsky wrote a book called Manufacturing Consent about how the mass media beats the war drum for the military and is complicit in, in ginning up the, the American public to support a war. Um, and... You know, prior to that, prior to reading that book, I had always believed the myth that bringing the bringing of the Vietnam War into America's living room through the television set is what turned the public tide against Vietnam War. And that's not true. That's a myth that was put out there by the media self-congratulating themselves, basically like, look, we brought the television, brought the, the conflict of Vietnam into people's homes and but um, in, in his book, Manufacturing Consent, Noam Chomsky talks about how, you know, all these news media personalities, they showed you scenes from Vietnam, but then it was followed up by, we need to, we need to fight more. There was more. Um, Hold on, I'm going to let our co-host, uh, Cairo, outside. <laughs> um, but... They actually, the the print media and the television media were both very supportive of the war. There were very few voices that were uh, against the war in Vietnam. But what happened was soldiers came home from Vietnam and told their family members what they had experienced there. And soldiers came home saying, this war is bullshit. We shouldn't be there. You know, so John Kerry uh, was one of them, was a big 
big anti-war Vietnam protester when he came back from the war. And so anyway, yeah, the media likes us to think that they, that they, they, in that particular example, like turned the tide of public opinion against the war and they really didn't. And uh, social media now is just, you know, I feel like there are, there is a somewhat of a balance between people saying we shouldn't be aggressing against Iran and people who, who are saying that, yeah, we should go bomb them. It's just extremely disturbing and frustrating. Like yeah, you I said, like the I, people... I'd like to know what's going on, and I, do, I don't want to put myself at an echo chamber. So, you know, I do have lots of different pages that I read and this and that. But I think I just get in this very distraught and upsetting point in my mind because we are in a very red state. So I am surrounded by people who who are racist and they don't care about the lives of those people because they're in a different country and they're a different color and they're a different religion. And I mean, that's blatantly, they just don't care about their lives and they don't have any knowledge. You know what I mean? Like there's just so many people in that area. And when you're surrounded by it, it starts to feel like it's the whole world. It does. And it's just like, it just makes you as a person feel like there is no hope for this world. Right. Because everyone around me, has no value for human life unless it's an unborn fetus and they don't care about brown people and these there's babies being slaughtered and right like that like there were there are literally people on twitter who are um you know pictures of jesus as their as their icon on their on their twitter is it white jesus it is a white jesus of course and um you know when you click on their 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 page and they're like maga 2020 you know they're they're hardcore trump supporters pro-life pro-gun both of which i am but, you know, I say to them, so you're pro-life, but I guess, you know, murdering babies in the womb is only okay if it's a brown person like thousands of miles away and you're blowing up some pregnant woman. That's okay. Because they talk about like dropping bombs, like it's a sport, like it's literally a high school football game. Right. Like our team against theirs, as if it doesn't affect thousands and thousands of people. And, and I think part of, the, part of the thing that's sad to me is that you know, we can go to war and we can we can drop bombs that cause people to be, you know, just disintegrated or whatever. But the news media cleans that shit up. Like, you're not allowed to show dead bodies on the cable, like, on the regular news. You're not allowed right. to... Sh- yeah, you can't show that. And I don't understand that. Like, so we can actually do an act that is horrible and graphic and gory and whatever, but we can't show the American people what they're cheering for. And I don't agree with that. I don't either. I think if we're gonna if we're gonna pretend like we're all adults here and everyone's allowed to have an opinion on war, then then show it to them. Right. Then they then they should if they want to beat the war drum and chant to turn the Middle East into a parking lot, then then I want you to know what that really means. Right. Somebody just said that on a local news comment. They they commented something like "blow the whole place up, just end it" or whatever. And I said, "Well, I'm glad to know that your comment in itself." supports mm-hmm. just killing civilians women children right. babies yes whatever is there animals wildlife everything just yeah. destroy it all and he's like well i mean it's us or them and i'm like but it isn't right it's and not. it was never about that exactly and we'll sit there and look at australia who god bless the people in australia i say god bless even though i'm not even sure if there is a god but i'll say this god bless the people in australia my heart does really hurt for those people and everything they're suffering down there but the news media will be like oh let's look at this story and say we have human compassion for people in suffering but then you got Nora O'Donnell on the evening news who was interviewing um I think it was Mike Pompeo she was interviewing and she was asking him about 
you know, reacting to Iran bombing this base, and she keeps asking him, but don't you think there's going to be more attacks? Are you afraid there's going to be attacks here at home? Are you, and she's just like hyperactively pursuing a negative answer. And I'm just like, here we go again, that the media is just sadly more worried about ratings and keeping people clinging to the 24-hour news cycle than they are about actually wanting things to calm down. They actually want death and destruction, and that's just really sad. But I have heard, you know, uh, I was listening to C-SPAN this morning, and I like to listen to C-SPAN because it is definitely an unfiltered view of America. So you get people calling in, if you ever have listened to C-SPAN, they have one line for Republicans, one line for Democrats, one line for independents. Sometimes, depending on the topic, they'll have a line for veterans or whatever. So before this Iran thing happened, you know, you would get your, you know, callers with their sometimes heavy Southern accents calling in, talking about President Trump is the greatest president ever lived, ever in history. And, you know, the, the basically have loyalty to Trump, have no information. There's zero information voters that just, uh, they just, they just like Trump. That's, they just like his personality. That is it. They have total faith in him. Don't need to see any evidence of this Iran, Iran, why we did this attack. They don't need any evidence. Their words were like, sometimes the government has to keep the stuff secret. Because if the president would have briefed the Democrats, they would be on the phone calling Iran. So this is the mentality now that we have, they only trust Trump. Trump, it should be, it, the people were saying things like, people should just get out of his way. Yeah, I know. Let I had do the his same job. argument him... when I when I was trying to explain the people that we have um, an act in place that presidents cannot just do these acts of war without approval from Congress, and that we can't have boots on the ground for I think it's sixty days. Um, and basically, people are just like, "Yeah, fuck that. He can do whatever he wants. He's the president." And I'm like, "We are a country that's supposed to be all about keeping political powers in check." Because they it's don't want our country, right. not a leader. He's not a dictator. He's supposed to represent us. Right. And that's just completely lost. And yeah, it, 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 that's terrifying to me. And, and, you know, I can see the, I can see the corruption on both sides. And I can say, honestly, that this situation with Iran, Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats passed a 700 and I think $68 billion military budget with a big fat bow on top to Trump and there was a an authorizations uh, section that was put in there limiting you know his basically acting impulsively like he does and they took it out right before all this stuff happened they gave him money and they refused to put any restrictions on what he does right so, because if anybody is confused for a moment that somehow Democrats are um, Democrats or, or, or liberals are part of what I refer to as the left, they're wrong. Yeah, they're not anti-war at all. Those people are just as pro-war as the Republicans are. Yes, they are. They I absolutely. mean, and I think that a big thing in my lifetime that showed me that was Obama as president and the, mm -hmm. the kinds of things that he did. And, you know, when he was elected in office, I was only 13 years old and... I was just so confused because in my mind I was like, no, you know, we had Bush when I was a kid and I kind of learned that he and his party were the war party and that's why we were in the Middle East because I had very little understandings of politics when I was a kid. 
So then when Obama got in office, I had this naive view that, well, now we have the other side. So none of that will happen. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, I got older and became an adult and started learning about politics. And just, I think that specific situation mm-hmm. is what molded my idea that both parties were bad. Well, honestly, they're, you know, up until Bill Clinton, um, I would say that I, in my, and I've read, you know, a lot of historical documents about different, you know, the Vietnam War and different conflicts that we've been in. And, you know, all presidents have their faults, both parties have their corruption. And that being said, though, there have been a lot of times that Republican presidents have shown an absolute disregard for balance of powers. They want to uh, increase the power over the presidency and almost rule like a dictator. Reagan's a perfect example of that because when Congress wouldn't fund the war, his little Nicaraguan Contra war, when Congress said, no, we're not going to fund that, he just, you know, violated the Constitution, went behind her back, sold weapons illegally to Iran, took the money, gave it to the Contras, and just did his own little war. Like, to me, Reagan should have been locked up for that. Right. You know, he committed uh, what, whatever you want to call it, treason against the country because he did not follow the Constitution. Absolutely. He just, I know, I love when people always say, even now, especially, you know, people around your age, Gen Y people who say... Um, that Reagan was the last good president we had. And I'm always just like... Based I, on what? Yeah, I'm like, based on what exactly? I mean, as far as I've read, um, they ignored a huge AIDS crisis, um, especially his wife being of some... I don't know. She apparently had some kind of platform where she just totally fucking ignored the AIDS crisis. And then Reagan had Iran-Contra. And that yeah, was just no, like skidding no, You know how every first lady has their different thing? You right. know what Nancy Reagan's was? You're going to crack up when I tell you. The Just Say No to Drugs campaign. Oh, right, 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 right. Yes, I did know that. <laughs> as funny as that is. And I don't know if it was Reagan or not. No, maybe it wasn't Reagan, but it was, uh, you know, Dee Snyder from Twisted Sister. Yes. And the president um, yes. at the time, their wife, first mm-hmm. lady, was pushing that we had to get rid of all this music yes. and we have Tipper to label Gore. it. Tipper it was Gore, Al yeah. And Tipper Gore, There you yes. go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember that because Dee Snyder, what a fucking badass. Yeah. Goes in front. Testified before Congress. Testified before Congress. Went in front of Congress and was like, basically, we have the right to write music for the people. And I'm like, hell yeah. That was like a win for America because fuck you. You're not that was try a to, scary time. That, that was like that's the moral like a, majority. The dude, Christian moral majority. That is like, like the time when countries start becoming like China. Like now you want to limit people's art. Yes. We are not. No, if you start limiting art, music, any kind of creation. Freedom of the press. You are destroying what we found in this country on, which is literally freedom. Yeah. Freedom. I mean, mm-hmm. so that always is just like, you know, salute to Dee Snyder because what a badass. You know, you'd never know from looking at this guy in like full drag makeup and Twisted Sister videos that uh, that he would turn out to be like actually Politic- just. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like he's not just like some drugged up rock star. Like he was like, no, I, I believe in music and I'm going to fight for it mm-hmm. in every sense of the word. Mm-hmm. So good on him good on him but so when we want to talk about we want to talk about iran we're like so we rambled on now um but when we first started talking about this i've noticed that a lot of people even calling into c-span and on television uh the conservatives want to go back to the iranian revolution and they say what 79 okay 
this is when ever since 79 we've been having trouble with the iranians and it's it's really funny because when you get liberals who call in they go back to 1953 which is when the united states government overthrew the democratically elected uh president of of iran right with uh with the, the CIA British. and the British intelligence. Yes. And the reason for that was because British Petroleum, <clears throat> it wasn't oil. British. Oil is what it was oil. over. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't British Petroleum yet. There was another name for it. But it basically was like the British Iranian, Anglo-Iranian oil company or something. But uh, basically the British went in there and set up their oil, you know, drilling. And they were uh, taking the vast majority of the profits from Iranian oil. So the people there, you know, started to get irritable about that and they wanted the books audited and they wanted the Iranians to get the bigger portion of the profits. Right, which makes total sense. And whenever I try to talk to people about this, they it's like it's like Americans have these goggles on and these headphones on where when they hear this stuff, they can comprehend that it may have actually happened, but they they can't switch it around and see like if somebody else came into our country and said, America, your, your very most valuable export, we're taking 90% of it. Right. We would fucking have an all-out war. Yes. Because, of course, that's ours. Our people deserve it. Mm-hmm. So then when you flip that around and you say, listen, the U.S. and the British went into Iran and, well, the British went into Iran and stole their oil and exploited their people and their country and their resources, and then the U.S. backed them in keeping the power. Why can't you see how wrong that is? Right. Because, you know, capitalism. Capitalism. Yeah, great. it's just, it's blinding, apparently, to people. Well, and there's always been running through. Well, wa- and, then, and then there's no argument there. People always say, oh, America goes to different countries to, you know, spread freedom and democracy. But Iran already had a democratically elected president. Right. So we can't pull that shit there. We were there for oil. Right. Yes, exactly. And I think it's kind of, it makes sense that any indigenous people, right wants to rule themselves people want to be sovereign and they want to rule they may want to make their own laws they want to elect their own leaders like that is a natural occurrence um and when you see this kind of top-down dictatorship form of government that oppresses the masses it's usually because the people at the top are getting a getting the vast majority of the resources and wealth and whatever and they're oppressing the masses and eventually what does that lead to a revolution. Right, exactly. So well, that's what happened here. Yes. In 1953, um, you know, this all went on. And uh, basically, the U.S. and Britain overthrew their democratic, democratically elected president in Iran, and they put in... Um, the Shah. The Shah. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of the beginning of the U.S.'s irreparable damage mm-hmm. to Iran. There was... that. I think that right there was the turning point where it was just all downhill from there because then um throughout the 50s eisenhower got along with them said you know we're 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 gonna allow you guys to have uh uranium nuclear but but no weapons we're not Mm -hmm. gonna do any weapons and they agreed to that so Mm -hmm. all was well even after that you know they did the atoms for peace program but now none of this was with the consent of the iranians because remember the shah was an was a plant was a puppet yeah yes he was was a a united states puppet so basically the iranian people although it seemed like we have good relations with their country that's only because we controlled their leader i mean that was our guy we put in there Mm -hmm. so although this all seems good um there's hostility always brewing under the surface right because because people realize that this is not this guy's not not representing them yes it's they're not being represented properly 
So Adams for Peace program happens in 57, 59. They, um, let's see, they opened the Tehran Nuclear Research Center, which I'm pretty sure we still hear about today. Um, and then we began seeking materials and technology from the U.S. Iran did. Uh, in 67, we gave them a 5-megawatt nuclear reactor and weapons-grade enriched uranium fuel. So we actually gave them basically their, their starter package for mm-hmm. here you go mess around with nuclear shit Uh, but we had an agreement you know no no nuclear weapons so that was in 67 um then we skip up a little bit to 63 to 73 which they called the decade of growth Mm -hmm. um and it says u.s pours resources into iran shoring up its military and political power iran enjoys a decade of impressive economic growth in the 60s and 70s but the shah's autocracy grows as well espoused in his notorious secret police savak which grew out of the cia training uh, and in 1972, President Nixon visits the Shah to ask him to guarantee U.S. security interests in the region, allowing Iran to buy any West weapon systems that they wanted. Um, and as the 1973 Arab-Israeli war sent oil prices surging, the Shah buys huge quantities of high-tech weaponry, and U.S. officials um, didn't like it, but they, they didn't do anything about it. Well, and also remember, too, now you're talking about the 60s and the 70s, and OPEC was formed in 1960. Right. So, Which I'm assuming is what, um, the, it was a big deal on the oil prices. Yeah, because Iran, Iraq, Kuwait, Saudi Arabia, and Venezuela, um, which we still are hearing a lot about Venezuela. Um, so if you look at that list, okay, we got Saudi Arabia, mm-hmm. which is our chums, right. buddies, Buddy does buddies. whatever we want, okay. Kuwait, it's our buddies, right? Iraq, we overthrew, and we've been there for, what, 18 years now, so we pretty much have our thumb on Iraq. And who are we always complaining about? Iran and Venezuela. Venezuela. So anybody who thinks that this whole series is not about oil right. needs to seriously wake up. It is about controlling the world's oil resources. Um, and also, you know, wars that we fought, say, with, like, the Soviet Union and Afghanistan and all these other, like, conflicts are usually based on who's trying to get control. Now, with China, it's also important to know that We've been concerned about China growing into the world's greatest economy, okay, because China has so many workers. They've just, their economy has just exploded. Now, China does do some, like, monetary manipulation and stuff to boost their market, but the bottom line is China's got it going on. Right, they do. Okay, so, but what do they need? Oil. So what we've been doing is trying to restrict China getting enough oil to really for them to really you know their economy really to take off yeah we better not piss off China man that's gonna be a big mistake so it's all it's not only just about getting the oil for ourselves because sometimes people say well we're not we got oil here but it's withholding it from it's, everyone it's else. being in control of it right. we want to monopolize control of it and you know back in the 60s when OPEC uh, got they all got together they they formed a cartel and basically what they could do was they could slow down oil production so it was very scarce and jack the price up. And they did that in the 1970s. And people here, like gas prices, like went through the roof. And gas was actually rationed out. Like you were, you get so much gas and that's all you were allowed to, to get. No matter how much money, money you had, this is how much gas you get. Um, so, and another thing too is that countries like Venezuela, Venezuela, you know, people in our media, so much propaganda about Venezuela. But, oh, Venezuela, the people starving because of socialism. socialism the evil oh, of socialism. socialism. 
Well, what's really happening in Venezuela is a combination of things. One thing is that we are severely putting sanctions on them. Which we don't like to talk about. Shh, no, it's socialism. That's yeah. the problem. Sanctions, sanctions, are, sanctions is warfare. When we sanction a country, millions of people suffer and many die. Lots of people die because they can't get medicine. They can't get food. We basically impose severe poverty on a country because we won't let other countries do business with them. It's, it's like the ultimate bullying aside from dropping a bomb in your head. Right. And we do this willy-nilly. So re- sanctions in Venezuela is a huge thing. We also stole a bunch of their money. Uh, I think there's like some like $20 billion. I don't know the exact amount, but it's some obscene amount of money that the British bank is holding that money that basically venezuela sold oil it belongs to them and they kept their money so yep. that's that's they probably like like to have that 20 billion dollars or whatever and on top of that venezuela because their economy is massively based on oil so when you have one thing that is like your whole economy rests on you being able to sell that product or trade that product for everything else you need what happens when all these other countries make a ton more oil now just like when they hold back the production of oil the price goes up if they flood the market with cheap oil the price of oil goes down right so when uh chavez came into power he brought people out of poverty with the socialist programs and you know things things in venezuela improved drastically for the for the people you know in the lower incomes which i feel like was a good plan in hopes that eventually you know their country would be able to um you know not be sanctioned to death basically um i think that their socialist ideals wouldn't have it wouldn't be portrayed the way that it is if it wasn't for our intervention exactly i exactly. mean the anybody who says that venezuela is in the shape that it's in because of socialism is just repeating what they read on the internet. Exactly. I mean, and this is what I try to argue with people all the time because they're like, eh, you want Bernie Sanders. What do you want America to be like Venezuela? Venezuela yes, of And course. I'm just like, oh my God, I'm so pissed off at how little you know my head wants to explode. And I just can't even say anything <clears throat> because at that point, if you're just regurgitating the headlines that you've read without any of your own research and mm-hmm. looking into anything at all to see, oh, maybe it's actually this that's causing that. Or maybe it's both. Right. I would even I would even discuss with someone that they thought maybe it was both, mm-hmm. but they they don't even know anything about any of right. that. They just they just regurgitate. So not only you know like with the Venezuela situation, I will say Chavez what he did he took the oil because he knew how much he had to sell and he used that as credit and he made all these social pro- programs, free daycare, free hospital. <clears throat> he did all these things, but then like he basically ran himself into debt, which was right. fine because he had a bunch of oil that he could pay for it. But then all these other countries flooded the market with oil, and it devastated their economy. Yeah, they set Venezuela up to fail. They and did. Yeah, there's just no doubt in my mind. They should have diversified. They should have. They should have worked harder to diversify their economy so they weren't so oil dependent. That was his. That was Chavez's mistake. But right. But to just make a blanket thing that it was socialism that destroyed their country is re- totally ridiculous. Absolutely it's ridiculous. Absolutely. Yes. <clears throat> if anything, what destroyed their country was not diversifying their portfolio of exports. Right. But uh, when your country is in severe poverty like that, you start to get it out. You know what I mean? It's yeah, like, they were just, I think if yeah. the market wouldn't have been flooded, and they could have mm-hmm. bounced back after that, that they would have started diversifying. It's just, yeah, the world was out to fucking. Screw Venezuela. Well, and so. when Chavez decided that he was going to nationalize the oil and use it for his own people, 
that's when he became enemy number one to the United States because you don't use the resources of your own country. How dare you use them to help your people? That is not allowed under U.S., you know, dictatorship. Right. (laughs) So back to um, Iran. Oh, yes. And this was, uh, we were talking about the, you know, just a little bit of a timeline and we're talking about the 60s and 70s. And I think the most important thing that happened during that time was Kalamani. Um, because this is when he basically started, you know, spreading the seeds of the rebellion. You know what what I'm saying? Like, I don't know how better to put that, but uh, this guy starts preaching to people about, you know, this shit's not right. And people agreed because they were already hostile, did not Mm -hmm. like the fact that America had their puppet government in there. So, um, and by the way, I'm getting all of this, um, specific this timeline from pri.org um but anyway they say in this that the u.s does not take kalamani very seriously um which proves to be a serious mistake which it does uh because then you go on um you know carter goes over there and strokes the ego of the guy they put in strokes shaw's ego um but then the revolution comes (laughs) um and then basically after this revolution that they started, see, January 16th, 1979, the mm-hmm. Shah announces he is leaving Iran to go on vacation. The Iranian people react as if it is the end of his reign, which clearly <laughs> is what they wanted. Don't go on vacation if you're the oppressive ruler of a country. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to probably butcher this name, but before leaving, he appoints Shapur Bakfir from the opposition as prime minister. But Iranians continue their mass protest. From France, Khomeini speaks about his plans for an Islamic Republic, and on February 1st, 1979, just weeks after Shah leaves, is it Khomeini or Khomeini? Uh, the Ayatollah Khomeini. Khomeini. Khomeini, yes. Yeah, my bad. I'm not, good. I'm not familiar with Middle Eastern names. Okay, but after Shah leaves, um, Khomeini makes a triumphant return to Iran to crowds of millions. So this is the revolutionary guy. He comes right. back and everyone's like, yeah, this uh, U.S. puppet is gone and fuck him, even though he says he's on vacation. And then this this guy who's spreading uh, seeds of the revolution is greeted by crowds of millions of peoples. Um, and it says, within days, revolutionaries are in control of the military, the ministries, and the media. Yes. So that was the beginning. Um of them being on the despot list. Right. Uh, that, 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 was, that was the thing right there. And then in the 80s, actually it was 79, we had the Iranian hostage crisis, which um, Iranians basically took, I think it was 80 Americans. Let me see. After a brutal revolution, blah, 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 blah. Okay, 1979, there it is. Carter allows the Shah, you know, this guy that they don't like, the Iranians don't like, um, to come to America for medical treatment, which he said was just, it was just like the human thing to do. But obviously the Iranians were not happy about it. They're like, mm-hmm. why are you helping the guy that we're clearly trying to have a revolution against? Um, so they took 66 American diplomats and Marines hostage and basically just wanted the U.S. to turn Shaw over to face his crimes. They wanted mm-hmm. to put him on trial, um, but they wouldn't do that. So then it goes on. Carter imposes sanctions on Iran and freezes about $12 billion in Iranian assets. He appeals to the UN, but basically the UN was like, mm, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, the thing, too, that always cracks me up when we talk about the hostage crisis is that Jimmy Carter, if you ask a Republican... He's a pussy. He's a pussy. Right, yeah. He wouldn't do shit about the Iranians. He he wouldn't do anything to help the hostages or whatever. So what he did do was he put sanctions on them. He also authorized a military operation to go and rescue the hostages, but due to bad weather, it was an absolute failure. People died... Yeah, eight, eight Americans died. Yes. So it was a failure, but he did authorize them to go get it. So it was in no way because Carter was was too weak or too much of a pussy to go and do it. It failed. And then um, on top of that, uh, he had worked out a deal with the Iranians to release the hostages. But Reagan was, uh, you know, about to come into office. So he had his people go over and have a chat with the Iranians and say, listen, uh, you know, whatever Carter's administration is offering you, if you hold off releasing the hostages until I take office, then uh, we'll make the deal even sweeter. So right. Reagan wanted the credit. You know, all these Republicans will come out and tell you that, you know, Jimmy Carter was a wimp. And, you know, as soon as Reagan came into office, boy, they knew they weren't messing or he wasn't going to mess around with them. And they released those hostages immediately. And it's all ju- it's all just a bunch of crap. The arrangement was already made for the hostages to be released. But this, again, is where we get into po- American political myth, you know. Right, and yeah. People just believe it because they want to believe it. So where yes, does that bring the, us up to? The Americans were allowed to come home the day of Reagan's yes. inauguration. So, so that tell should me, tell you that tell Reagan me that had nothing planned to do out. with it. Yeah, but tell me that shit wasn't planned yes, out. Yes, absolutely. You know? um, 440 days those yes. people were held in captivity, mm-hmm. so... Insane, insane. And then it says this is the marking of Iran becoming the pariah state. Yes. Um, which, I don't know, seems like it was pretty bad all along. <laughs> but you have to realize, too, that the, the CIA holds documents for so long that the documents related to the coup in Iran didn't come out until, you know, I think it was like in the early 2000s or something. Like, it was, it's, it's decades and decades and decades until the American public has the opportunity to learn about the stuff that our government does in our name. Right. And it's There's like, a huge delay. I don't blame people in that time for believing what they did because you know how hard it is to actually know what's going on when something's happening. But it is the people now that right. still defend Reagan and still say things like, um, I've, I've had so many people in the past week tell me that it's all Obama's fault that we have issues with Iran. And I'm just like, um, well, here's Here's a couple okay. of myths that you've probably heard this week. So Obama gave Iran billions of dollars, pallets of cash, right? That probably paid for the bombs that were just now bombed our military bases. All of that, of course, is a bunch of lies, right? Um, in fact, Trump got on television and exaggerated one number extremely, and the other one was just a total lie. So what happened was uh, we had sanctions against Iran, mm-hmm. and we also had taken their money. That, you know, when transactions happen between nations, the money uh, has to flow. And sometimes we pull these trickery things where we're like, oh, well, that $10 billion or whatever belongs to Iran. We're just going to just seize it. So the money that Obama gave to the Iranians when he completed the Iran nuclear deal was their money. It was their money, and it wasn't like Obama universally, uh, unilaterally decided that. That was something that all of the nations involved in the nuclear agreement agreed on, that once they got these certain, everybody got in the deal what they wanted in the deal, they would release the money. So in a sense, like, we talk about, you know, Trump withholding aid to get what he wanted, like the quid pro quo. 
Well, kind of the Iran nuclear deal was like an out in the open quid pro quo because it's like, well, you know, we're going to get you to agree to all these things or you're not getting your own money. Right. Back. They held them hostage, their own money. Now, I'm not saying that I want Iran to have nuclear weapons because I don't want any country to have nuclear weapons. But Tulsi Gabbard, to her point, is that you've got Trump saying that he doesn't want us in this, these forever wars. That's what he ran on. One of the things he ran on. And he's over there with Kim Jong-un saying, listen, we don't want you to get nuclear weapons. But tell me one country the United States has attacked that has nuclear weapons. Zero. We're not going to go and drop a bomb on Russia. Yeah, We're not going to go drop a bomb on China. I feel like um, people are so caught up in the propaganda that they hear because they never stop to think, um, other countries look at America and see Trump as our president and have to understand that he has access to nuclear weapons and they just have to live with that yeah, day to a, day. That's a terrifying thing. It is it's a terrifying, a terrifying thing. thing for us because they could re- retaliate. Right. But then we turn around and say things like, well, you don't want Iran to have nuclear weapons, do you? You don't want North Korea having nuclear weapons, do you? And I'm just like, I don't know how the thought of New- North Korea having nuclear weapons is any scarier for me than it is every other person to think that Donald Trump has them. So, no, of course, <laughs> I don't want to think about other countries that may fucking hate America and probably for good reason to have nuclear weapons. But, like, why do we get to decide when we just, we, we literally are trying to be the global police. And it's like, I just don't understand how people put blinders on and don't see the complete you know what I mean? Hypocrisy in that. Like, no, you can't have nuclear weapons because we deem you unstable. But we're going to keep ours. And we are the only country who has actually used a weapon of mass destruction against the civilian population, which was Hiroshima and Nagasaki. So if you want to say, like, which is the most dangerous regime you wouldn't want to have nuclear weapons, I would say the one who has shown that they will drop them on babies and old people and Yeah, women. literally. I wish I could um, create a false history book that would be somewhat believable and just replace everything that america did with a middle eastern country and watch how much people hate it and they're like oh my god i can't believe they did this we should go bomb them and then they find out it wasn't actually a middle eastern country it was america right because they're just so blinded by it i don't mm-hmm. i don't know how the rest of the world hasn't teamed up to just be against america well because- i my my thought is that they have because i when when we were went to europe the first time it was before europe became the european union so when we went to italy the first time we used lira Right. The second time we went back, we had to use uh, euros because they had become the European Union. And I remember telling, you know, your dad at the time that um, I think my feeling is that the that Europe is trying to get all their economy together because they globally the world is pretty much tired of the U.S.'s shit. They're tired of our bullying, but they can't openly do anything about it. They can't openly fight us. So how do they fight us? Well. Uh, an army travels on a stomach they say so if you can't feed your soldiers you can't have an army if you can't have the money and the budget to create weapons that's what happened to the soviet union that's why they went into decline because they couldn't afford to maintain their massive military so i think economically the rest of the world is taking little bits and pieces and chunks out of america's prosperity because they want to reduce our military that that uh, to me like if i was in their position that's what i would do i'd be yeah, like well if, if anybody i don't know i just feel like this country is a slow sinking ship and maybe not in my lifetime but we're not always going to be the world power and people are already recognizing that america is nothing for that what we're we in claim. decline yeah we, we're, we're, we're on 
the downslope and none of the morals that we've been preaching about, no one believes any of that except for our own people. Mm-hmm. Some reason in America, people put these, you know, blinders on, like I've been saying, and they just pretend like we are still for freedom and democracy and they refuse to see. I mean, I think there are more and more people that, you know, can see it, that right. our wars are for oil and our politicians are corrupt and mm-hmm. that we're just a shit show. Well, what, what happened this week whenever this false letter went out? It wasn't a false letter. It was an unsigned letter that was written by one of our uh, higher military officials because the, Ira- the Iraqi government took a vote and said, we want Americans to leave. And after we killed Soleimani, the Iraqis were like, that's it. Get out. Right. And so we were like, we're not leaving. And this letter, in the meantime, this letter got sent out saying we're, we're, we're going we're gonna to comply. We're going to respect your sovereignty. We're going to evacuate our troops. We're going to move. Blah, blah, blah. And I heard that on the news, and I was like, oh, my God. Like, what? Like, the United States is going to respect somebody's sovereignty? What the? It, it's, this is crazy. But then it came out, no, we're not leaving. And so then it was like, well, you know, how do you justify saying you, quote, liberated Iraq? It was literally called Operation Iraqi Freedom. But we've been there for 18 years, and they're saying, we would like you to leave now, please. And we're like, no, we're not leaving. Like, that, that's all. That's, we invaded their country yes. and took it over. And Trump had the audacity to get on TV and say that if we would withdraw the Iraqis would have to pay us back for all the infrastructure that we built in their country over the last 50. I'm like, the infrastructure that we destroyed with our bombs when we invaded them based on lies, total lies from our government, we invaded them and bombed the shit out of their country and then we rebuilt it, made profits there of God knows how many billions we've made in profits in Iraq. Halliburton alone probably made yes. hundreds of millions of dollars. And now we want paid back for that. But now we want paid back, which is ridiculous. So I think basically... I mean, we right, yeah. The rest of this timeline, we go from the Iran Iraq war, um, and then it goes up to the Iran Contra, which, which we, we supported about. Iraq in the Iran Iraq war. Right, obviously. yes, obviously. I don't, I don't get that. This was the thing too that we were talking about because, you know, nine eleven happened. I was a kid, and I never really understood that. I didn't know a lot about it until I got older because there was so much misinformation about it, especially around the people that I was around as a child. Um, who basically just referred to anybody who was brown and in that part of the country as a towelhead. There was yes. no separation of Afghanis, Pakistanis, um, Sunni, Iranians. Shiite, there, nobody none knows of, on the, no. no, they've just, they were all terrorists. There was no, so I had no idea. As far as I was told as a child was that um, people in the Middle East, uh, basically everyone in the Middle East, attacked America and killed our people. And now we had to go um, retaliate, basically. That was my understanding of it as a child. And then um, I just come to find out. I, well, you I, weren't I alone in that. And that was because our intelligence services at the time actually concocted a completely false story that, that um, Saddam Hussein's, either him or his people, had met with members of al-Qaeda, which experts in the field said this is ludicrous because um, they're completely different religions. They don't like each other. And the, the, on every possible spectrum, Al-Qaeda and Saddam Hussein have completely, they're completely They would not opposite. work together. They right. would not work together in any way, shape, or form, no matter how much they didn't like the United States. So, and before 9-11 happened, right before 9-11 happened, we were trying to find a pretext to invade Iraq. And 
we were saying they had they were developing nuclear weapons and the IAEA which is the International Atomic Energy Association was going in there they were doing inspections inside of Iraq these people were crawling up Saddam's butt looking for weapons right they couldn't find they it they didn't find they it they couldn't find thing. it thing so we kept saying we wanted to go and, and militarily go in there and and they said and Iraq said well we're not letting your military in here to inspect us and we were like oh that's the proof that they have them so that was all going on prior to 9-11. Right, exactly. And then remember, too, that when we, after, after you know, 9-11 happened, we used that as a, first we went into Afghanistan, went mm-hmm. in there like 2001, because Afghanistan was, a, was the area where the Saudis, who actually attacked us, they were Saudis. Right. 17 and the 19 were Saudis, and the funding came from Saudi sources. But they trained in Afghanistan. But they trained in Afghanistan. So rather than deal with the Saudis at all. We like the Saudis. We so. like the Saudis. We went and invaded Afghanistan. Okay, right. so we went right, there right, right, right. Okay, so, but the Iraqis, um, who really had pretty much nothing to do with it, we just took advantage of the fact that, hey, let's just go back into Iraq. So that's why a lot of people on the left are, like, super pissed off because, like, the whole war never should have even happened. It was all just lies. So... Um, and then what do you got after that? Well, so war in Iraq happens. And um, basically, I mean, we still have people there. It's disgusting. We still have people out there. Oh, there. yeah, that's right. Nothing's changed in 18. <laughs> right, yeah. I was like, well, uh, where do we go next from this? <laughs> that There's brings still us people up to there. today. Uh, but no, there was a couple things. After the Iran-Contra happened, um, some significant things to mention were flight 655 if you don't know about this already most people do but if you don't um in 1988 u.s navy forces in the persian gulf in iranian territory shot down a passenger ship full of women and children 290 people yeah i'm sorry airline yes 290 people on board all civilians children babies and they all died because they claimed that it was a fighter jet. They mistook it for a fighter jet. Which then later the U.S. came back and was like, oh, sorry. Mm-hmm. It was a mistake. And right. that's it. I mean, just as if hostilities could not be worse. I mm-hmm. mean, can you imagine if someone came into our waters and shot down a flight full of civilians and children right. and babies. And we're just supposed to be like, oh, okay, it was just a mistake. You know, I mean, I just feel like we've done so much shit to Iran. We've literally been shitting on them since, since the 50s. Mm-hmm. And it's like... People want to act like they have no reason to hate us. Right. They just hate us because we have Western culture, and that's not it. I mean, they always preach, they want the whole world to be Sharia law. They hate Americans. They hate women. They hate gays. Blah, blah, blah. No, shut the fuck up. That's not why they hate us. I mean, mm-hmm. there if, are some, but. Yeah, all right. There are some, mm-hmm. which I would conclude are probably radicals, but the rest of the world does not like Americans where we're like, you have to be like us or we hate you. Not everybody's like that. Right. So, no, they have plenty of reasons to fucking hate us. Yes. Besides the fact that they don't culturally agree with us. And prior to this incident with Soleimani, the Iraqis had been protesting for months. Protesting for months prior to Soleimani being assassinated. They were protesting government corruption, lack of jobs, bad economic conditions. Now, this is a country with obviously billions, tons of oil, okay, being pumped out of the ground. Let me guess, the oil is not going to help the Iraqi people. Let me guess, the oil is not doing much to spur on the economy to where there's jobs for the Iraqi people. So um, the last thing I was going to talk about was the intercept, um, which is a, a uh, if you don't know, it's a, it's a newspaper. 
they shared information that they had obtained with the New York Times. And so, but it hasn't been on really on mainstream media. So I didn't see the Times article about this. But basically what this is about is there were 700 pages of leaked internal documents that were, uh, they were anonymously leaked to The Intercept. They were translated from Persian to English, and they were also shared with the New York Times. Now, what these documents show is that over the course of the United States occupying Iraq for the last, um, I think, 18 years it is, the Iranians took a page out of the CIA playbook, and they started to find people inside of Iraq, Iraqis in upper echelons of government, who were cooperating with the Americans and just started bribing them, started paying them off. It was kind of like a company does like a hostile takeover. <laughs> so Iran kind of did this with, and this, these documents were from 2014, 2015 time period. So um, it's not like super current, but Soleimani was involved in all these things. And um, the government of Iran had a really strong influence as far as who was getting elected to office in Iraq. So I'm guessing that our government probably didn't want the interference. So they had, you know, these tensions are going to rise up. But the bottom line is the Iraqi people want their own uh, sovereignty. They want to run their own country. They have their own government now, their own parliament. Their parliament can is fully equipped to vote, you know, on what things affect the people. Why are we there? When people say, well, Salmani's a terrorist. He's got American blood on his hands. He attacked our people. Why were our people where he could attack them? Well, that's what I said, too. Why are they even over there? That's exactly what I said. I said, you know what, uh, what, you know, protect American troops is if they weren't fucking there. Right. And they're like, well, if we pull out now, they're going to come attack us on our land. And I'm like, well, I mean, historically, from what we've done to them over and over and over and over again, I, I'm pretty sure they just want to be left the fuck alone. Yeah. They, um, nobody's ever retaliated back on us on our fucking own soil except for the Japanese and we showed those fuckers and it's like I don't think that stain ever went away no. I don't think anybody is ever going to retaliate on American soil they know we have nukes I mean no there's just that idea is so far-fetched and not based in reality that I just it's just an excuse it's just mm -hmm. an excuse to have our forces on the ground there but what was the rebel's name that I can't pronounce right and I ran the leader Ayatollah Khomeini Kamani, yes. Mm -hmm. I wanted to mention, because I forgot to mention it when we were talking about the hostages. Um, Kalamani said when they took those 66 hostages that they, they let 13 of them go immediately. They were um, women and African Americans. And he said he let them go because they already faced the oppression of American society. So, yeah, in, this, in the 70s, <laughs> this guy already... Was like, oh, we took American hostages, but let the women and the blacks go because America already shits on them. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, dude is woke. Like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. Oh, I don't Lord. praise the bad things that they do. And I think that religious extremists are bad, obviously. I mean, I hate when people, hate when I have these conversations and people make me out as this person on the left that like, I don't know. I just think that they're like, oh, you support ISIS. And I'm just like, no, that's not, that's not what any of this means at all. Are you even listening to me? But right. um, God, I just, I wish people would just take a step back. I know. And, try and to you put know, the shoe it's so sad foot. when you read, when you read historical documents, like 
I'm, I'm reading a book right now called The Brothers, and it's about the Dulles brothers, Alan Dulles and his brother, um, who ran the State Department and the CIA simultaneously from the 50s until the six, in early 60s. Um, and when they overthrew Iran, um, there was a time, Soekharto was the leader of, of Indonesia, and um, he was talking about, he gave a speech where he was talking about Africa and Indonesia, and he was saying, you know what, we're at a glorious time right now where we, we have all the capacity for everyone to get together and have mutual economic development. The world could be a great place, you know, and basically just saying, like, if everybody cooperated and stopped fighting with each other, like, how glorious of a time we could live in. And then there's the Dulles brothers. <laughs> like on the opposite end of the spectrum, you had these, you know, characters that are just just overthrowing governments left and right because they don't suit American corporate interests. And it's just so disgusting. Like when you look back at it, you're like, man, I wonder what the world could have been like. Somebody said today about the assassination of Soleimani that what if we'd had the chance to drone strike Hitler? Just think of all the people we would have saved. And I'm like, oh, Lord have mercy. Like that, this is the comparison. They're, and I, my first thought in my mind was, what if we would have drone strike the Dulles brothers? Because they spent, you know, all these years like ruining America and everybody's eyes around the world. And then the Americans, of course, are the last ones to know because we don't find out till 50 years after the shit has happened and everybody else in the world already hates us. And we then, then we find out about it. And like only a small percentage of Americans even know about it. So I just feel like we need to have a leader who's going to go to these places around the world and say, you know, we want to rebuild trust with the rest of the world. And we, we can't do that when, you know, we're still, still occupying and acting like a colonial empire all around the world. You know, we're, we're still trying to overthrow Venezuela. We still got Guaido down there stirring up shit, to, trying to say that he's going to be the leader of Venezuela. Um, and, and, in, and I was going to mention that, too, that in 2002, we tried a coup in Venezuela. And that coincided with our uh, prior to our invasion of, of Iraq. We were going to invade Iraq. And we wanted to establish another, you know, dominance of another oil-rich area. And so we tried to have a coup in Venezuela, and it failed. But it's, it's, if you just look at all these countries, look at what their natural resources they're producing, look at who needs it. Like Japan, for example, they have no oil. Japan imports every bit of their oil. They're extremely oil-dependent. Dependent. So, you know, if you look at countries and just study them and figure out what they need, who they get it from, you'll start to figure out geopolitics, like right. what it's all really it's not based hard. on. Yeah. yeah, you can see where, why we care about some and not the others. But um, basically to bring it all up to speed, you know, we had the Obama administration and um, a U.S. law went into effect in 2013, I think. Basically it gave Obama uh, power to sanction foreign banks, um, including the central banks of U.S. allies. And he uh, threatened to do that if they failed to significantly reduce their imports of Iranian oil. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, yet again, here is another, you know, when people say, I just want to shit on Trump, not supporting of Obama. Obama furthered this. He was just like every other president and furthered the hostilities between Iranians. And, mm -hmm. you know, he, he wasn't this hope that came in and settled down relations, although he did lift the sanctions before he left office, um, which then Trump doubled down on and mm -hmm. put twice as much in effect which just fucking lit the fire all over again. And I, just feel I, really I feel like bad. when Obama lifted the sanctions, that should have been the opportunity right there to try to calm this shit down. Mm -hmm. Get the people, well, and he, you know, Obama said he, that he officially ended the war in Iraq. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that was a good lead up. 
you know, okay, we said we officially ended the war. We're going to start bringing troops home. Um, you know, we, we lifted the sanctions. So let's all calm down here. I think that that could have been a beautiful road to eventually everybody chilling the fuck out and America just stay out of other people's business. Mm -hmm. I don't want you there. Mm -hmm. Move on. And I think that if we would have had a good leader replacing after, I don't think Hillary Clinton would have done that because she's a warmonger too. She so is. we were kind of fucked either way. And I thought that when the 2016 elections happened that we were fucked either way because well, any you know, progress the email, we've made. The emails that came out in the 2016 election between her and Neera Tannen were about the overthrow of Libya. And Neera Tannen's email to Hillary Clinton was, you know, the American people are going to get upset if they have to keep paying for these regime change wars. So, you know, we should really just steal Libya's oil once we take them over. Like, that, that was their plan. They were just plotting more and more. And there's a video that you could find of Trump. It, I believe it was in 2012. And he was talking about Obama. He was being interviewed about the Obama presidency. And he was saying Obama's economy was fake. It wasn't a good economy because it was based on flooding the market with money, which is exactly what he's doing right now to make right. his economy look better. And he was saying that we go and fight all these wars, but then at the end, like, we don't take the spoils. You know, it used to be in the good old days, like, you fought a war and you took whatever. And he said, we should, we should be controlling Iraq's oil right now. So this is not anything surprising that he would go right along with, we should be in control of it. Right. I mean, it's just nonsense. And I don't know how people justify, like, I mean, I guess it's just America. They, they think America first. That's what Trump mm -hmm. says. That's what they think. No matter who they have to stomp and who they have to rob and whoever's freedom they have to rip away, they don't care. As and I personally America feel kind of bad because, you know, Obama was saying he was going to get us out of all these wars, and he didn't. And, um, you know, I feel like I'm one of those Americans that it got quiet, and I wasn't thinking about, why are our, tro our troops should be home? Right, exactly. No, and I'm, I'm guilty of that as well. It seemed like, I feel like at that period of time, they were doing a lot of healthcare changes, and I was very, very concerned about that because it is such a big problem, and it's like, there's just so many issues in our country that need to have your focus at once, mm -hmm. and they know that, which is why they choose to do this thing over here so you won't look at this thing over and here. And they don't report international news. Now, I do try to go and look in, at other news in other countries. So like do I'll I, check yeah. out news in Europe and everything like that. Although I feel like a lot of Britain's news is becoming very, very oh, right-wing. It's, it's, it's crap. It's total crap. I don't know what's happening over there. <laughs> well, Brexit and all that. But that's, that's a story for a different show. Yes. <laughs> so anyway, I hope that, um, you know, we ran about an hour ten this time. I tried to keep it a little shorter. But I would like people to especially listen to this while all this is going on. Because it would just give you a little bit of background about mm -hmm. why this is going on and why we have so much hostility between these two countries. And that, you know, you also have to take into account that when you hear, oh, well, the U.S. had to do this because they had this information. These are the same people. This is the same government that also told us we had weapons of mass destruction. Exactly. That we know they didn't. Exactly. And we were told that they didn't. And mm -hmm. we told people they did anyway. And Americans believed them and we started a war over it. So... I would just caution everyone that when you hear things to do your own research from different sources, mm -hmm. find out if it's real or not. And just because the government comes out and says like, oh, we have this intelligence, we already know. I mean, we were just talking about this earlier. The United States of amnesia mm -hmm. is what some people refer to us as because we constantly forget 
the shit that has happened to us. Mm -hmm. So if we're about to get into another war, which I was really hoping when the Iranians struck back that military air force base or that military base and no one died, I thought, okay, this is it. They got to retaliate. No one died. We can calm it down. Well, now they're trying to say, Americans are trying to say that Iranians shot down that um, flight. Of course they are. And I'm like, here it is. We're going to blame it on them and they're going to say we didn't do it. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and this is going to be our, this is going to be the bridge to keep this fire going. Mm-hmm. I mean. So. And then we'll also have to wait and see how John Bolton's testimony comes out because, you know, John Bolton is a huge war hawk. He's been involved since the Vietnam era of every president. Like he, he just worms his way into these presidencies and he, you know, inst- he's constantly wanting to go to war. Constantly, constantly. So when Trump appointed him in 2018, I was like, oh, Lord, here we go. We're going to be in a war. And then when Trump fired him, I was actually, like, really happy because I'm like, I don't like Trump any more than I did yesterday, but now at least Bolton. Like, the last thing we need for our psychopathic president is to have another psychopathic warmongering person, like, right there in his ear. That's the worst combination ever. So then he fired Bolton, and then, like I said, the next thing you know, you got this whistleblower in the White House who is allegedly a CIA person um, that catches trump with the you know ukrainian call which trump clearly did which was clearly illegal can't defend it but the fact that it was a cia person that reported it is like uh, it doesn't make me feel yeah, any it better. seems seems pretty fishy as if you know bolton got fired and was pissed yeah and so he was sure. like hey send somebody from the cia in there and catch him in some fucked up shit yeah right because i'm bitter that's, salty that's about very it. possible yeah so, I so, mean, that's a conspiracy. I don't have any proof to back that up, but it sounds pretty logical. we'll have to see logical. what his testimony comes out, because then the impeachment happened, but then the weird on hold, the peach, impeachment being on hold. And somebody brought up today, Especially like, while all this it's shit almost Iran's like Nancy on. Pelosi knew mm-hmm. that some shit was going to happen. I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, she probably knew. So, anyway, that's all we had for this week. I could go on. Uh, I feel like really anybody who talks about the Middle East could go on and on and on, because there's just so many details and... So many specific stories you could bring up, and I don't know. We won't even get into all of it other than I, I really hope that people who are chanting to just turn Iran into a parking lot will stop and just try to realize that there are innocent people there, regardless of what your beliefs on their religion is or their government or things that have happened there. You just have to understand that there are always innocent casualties in war and that they shouldn't just be looked at as collateral damage. Exactly. But with that, we'll sign off. So this is Juke signing off. And this is Mick signing off.